and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Ben and Marcel are back to do some discussion on what has been an eventful few days of racing. Finally, after missing a bunch uh, earlier on in the calendar due to adverse weather, but it looks like it's been good so far. Gentlemen, uh, happy Valentine's Day. I'm glad to see you've got your priorities straight and you're on here. I, I presume you told your other halves that you're, you're out doing something more important than podcasting. Skiing is my one true love. <laughs> I had to buy 50, 50 roses to get onto the podcast with you guys for a couple of minutes. <laughs> oh. Definitely not worth it. But Definitely not worth it. <laughs> There's nothing in here that's going to make 50 pounds worth of uh, flowers worth it, I'm afraid. <laughs> what do you make so far of, uh, of the championships? Well, in case you couldn't tell from my various social media posts at the start of last week, I was very, very unhappy with the weather. Um, I was on the verge of uh, losing it completely with the amount of changes cancellations and I guess just false dawns this championships had because we were so excited going into it and then had to wait until Thursday before we even got any racing underway we planned a podcast for for Wednesday night to cover the first (laughs) round of races and at that point there'd been no races at all so um, it was a it was a complete nightmare but the, the four races we have got off now fortunately are in you know brilliant condition. I thought it was so exciting wasn't it like all those races they were incredibly interesting to, to watch and like some some of the racers have produced some unbelievable skiing and also some unbelievable almost crashes etc so it was it was very exciting um i just want to talk before we talk pure results um there's been quite a lot of discontent within the, the athletes through the athletes rep about more mostly about the downhill stuff that the men are doing today and the super g actually on the sort of men's side um do it it's not a coincidence that the test event for these races was cancelled. Therefore, we haven't had any skiing on these race pistes. And now we are seeing them sort of teething uh, these race hills at major championships, let alone, you know, where they should have been at, you know, World Cup final. Sure, that's a big event, but it's not, you know, the world champs. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, you couldn't do anything about last year because of COVID. Um, And I guess the big question that's come out a lot this week is, you know, is the course setting wrong or are the athletes not skiing properly or correctly based on the course set? And there's plenty of directions you can go into to try and decide an answer to that question. But clearly it's a big problem and you have to think moving forwards what that's going to mean for things like Beijing, where obviously we lost the various amount of, of test events last year and it's it's a bit of a shame because you don't want the course or the hill overshadowing the skiing and you don't want it being an argument of ha- has poor preparation or you know not being able to do a test event cost people their chance to win the world championships medal at the end of the day once the course is set you've, you've got to turn up and, and execute your skills whether you agree with the set or the conditions or not I actually I have a I have a bit of a different opinion on that. I am actually quite enjoying it from a spectator's perspective because I think no one knows the course. And besides the fact that they might have had a couple of problems in the downhill training run um, with the setting, etc. I thought it was it was really interesting to see a course that no one has ever skied because in downhill you usually have like people going down a hundred times in their career and they know exactly what's going on. And this is like it's pretty it's new like no one knows it's like it's basically the same as putting a couple more turns into a formula one course without them tell without telling them <laughs> just seeing what happens <laughs> which i which i i find quite entertaining like i mean we we haven't seen like super crazy crashes or anything like getting properly hurt as not as i've as far as i can tell and i i think it's it's quite entertaining um and i i've really enjoyed watching the races not them not knowing what's going on i think it's I agree with both, which is what I was sort of trying to get to. I, you know, as especially as a former downhill racer myself, I know that when I turned up at World Cup events as a newbie, uh, you know, I was at a huge dis- disadvantage because of the amount of times that somebody skied down Vengen or Kitzbühel or Bormio or whatever, like all of these places where the course never changes barring you know a few millimeters because they're all plotted on the on the piece by you know using cameras and stuff so nothing nothing really ever changes um but yeah coming to coming to the uh, cortina and seeing that 
seeing sort of a, a fresh take on it, I really enjoyed. But at the same time, I, I'm left a little bit frustrated that I still don't think they've got the set right today. Like the, the speed going into that, the big, the big jump where they're knuckling, you know, because it's not a big jump. <laughs> like they, they, they haven't got that right. Um, and they haven't, and they were still sort of feeling their way in terms of how to set you know, at the first training run. So it's, I'm, my point was what you touched on, Ben, in terms of Beijing coming up in February, we're going to bounce into that without a test event, which is great for, in terms of a spectacle, because it's going to be interesting to see who's able to sort of read a course really quickly or who, who's able to make adjustments and sort of feel what's happening rather than rely on experience in terms of skiing it before. But at the same time, I don't want to be there with the course setters still sort of messing around with it not messing not the right words but still making adjustments based on what they're seeing as opposed to like what is going to be the best spectacle at that racetrack yeah Marcel makes a, a good point in terms of this has been difficult in terms of getting people to to be the right speed at the right point on the course it's not been dangerous no really like the the jumps in the super g were big but there was nobody flirting with the nets or any of the kind of crashes we've seen this year so from that side of things it's definitely it's, it's fun and exciting not knowing who's going to win and it being a bit more of an equalizer that no one skied it but at the, at the same time yeah i think i wouldn't let marcel anywhere near formula one if he's going to start adding corners <laughs> without telling anyone because <laughs> i don't think no. that's going to end well for anyone no my, my idea is not just adding corners but it's also adding a bit of like oil on one corner a bit of ice <laughs> just to make it a bit like different with the surfaces gravel I, gravel corner maybe as well see like i wouldn't want that in, in ski racing because that would be dangerous well it probably could be dangerous in formula one as well thank you probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey it, it was just a thought in my head that i spun around for a couple of times no one has listened yet you guys are actually the first ones to <laughs> staying in Marcel. i'm not <laughs> editing it out uh, you, you you've put your flag in the ground now no no, no I, I i totally get it i i I agree, Marcel, that I like the fact that we're seeing a levelizer, an equalizer, as you said, Ben. But at the same time, I don't want us to come to a major champs and them still be trying to figure out but, speed intersections. But, but on the other hand, there is one one other point that I don't want to take the results away from, from when we discuss them. But I thought it was really interesting to see who, besides the first three in Super G, because they were like poor guys, but... It was so interesting to see that some people are better at skiing tactical and some aren't. Some might be getting a bit lucky with the line they choose or the line they will get when they ski there. But I mean, you could see, and one guy in particular, he was smashing that part of the course twice. So you would think he knows exactly what technical skiing, uh, tactical skiing looks like. So I thought that's a, a quite interesting component that you get as well with those kind of things that you don't have much training on it and stuff because in Kidsville, everyone knows I need to take a bit off at that corner because otherwise I'm going to land it on that or whatever. But on this race, the lines, they were like 20 meters apart. Like I it, it was all over the place. Like everyone was just doing their own thing. Yeah. Which, which was so interesting to see. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Um, it'll be interesting, won't it? And that's ultimately, I guess, from a fan's perspective, what we want to see. Yeah, we don't want to see it sort of a pre-given. We don't want to be just discussing one name or two names when it comes to who can win. And I think you're right. Levelizer. But let's let's see what they how they play it in China, because I'm assuming that really in Cortina, this racetrack, I'm assuming, and it's a pure assumption, guesswork, that the Italians have skied on that racetrack because... You know, they would have skied on there at some point last year because obviously it was ready for, would have been ready for world champs. So at some point last year, the Italians have raced on this piece. So it's not, they're not coming into, you know, it's not like Fizz have, have turned up and Hannes Trinkle's putting gates in the ground, not knowing what he's doing. <laughs> you know, they've had, they have planned it and they've been probably been there in the summer to try and work out where the gates are going to go. But obviously they just haven't had a, a chance with these sort of snow conditions because it is super cold, super aggressive snow. It doesn't run quite as well as, when it's slightly warmer and slightly less grippy so imagine there's a guy turning up in china from like a chinese guy who has trained on the on the beijing hill for about 10 years now <laughs> yeah, they've been planning this there's some chinese guy that's just gonna win by like 16 seconds the, day. <laughs> the other thing quickly before we talk about results um which we, which sort of will tie us quite nicely into results um but the germans 
bring in the heat when it matters, right? So we're, we're about to talk about results. We may as well crack into the men's Super G. We'll start with that, where Kriegmeier won. Um, Roman Bauman ended up in second, 700s off, and Alexi Pantero was in third. But on the ladies' side, we've seen great results from Vidal and, by the look of it, from today, Andy Sander. So the Germans haven't necessarily been anywhere near, not, not anywhere near the podium, but they certainly haven't been, you know, right towards the sharp end of course they've been picking up some decent results but all of a sudden coming to world champs and they've just nailed it yeah they have um there's been some pretty impressive performances from all those guys so yeah starting at the at the super g bauman we were kind of maybe left a little disappointed with uh some of his skiing earlier in the season he like we got to i think it was garmish and we thought is this going to be it um, and didn't quite deliver what, what you what you would have hoped for what would have been a home-ish race for him. Um, and then, you know, he stepped up in that Super G when it mattered after seeing absolute chaos, as Marcel alluded to for the first, you know, three or four guys down the hill. You know, the people who ended up on the podium found the best way to ski on, on the day, and, and that's what you need to do. And you know, Bowman's been in pretty good form this year. Looks like he's got a bit of a new lease of life since switching from from Austrian to, to German, and and really, you wouldn't necessarily think of him as, as a Super G specialist. You'd normally think he'd have a better chance of downhill, but he skied that really, really well. And only being seven hundredths off in the end was a, a shame that he couldn't quite get that last that last little uh, few hundredths on the end. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I thought his performance was outstanding, even in the steep part where Kriegmeier was skiing so smart. He didn't lose that much time and, and his flats, like, I mean, he must have had two rockets under his legs because he gained so much time there. And I know it, I, I, I know it's not the case uh, and it wasn't a hundred meters longer, but if it would have been, there would have been only one winner and that was the Robert Baumann. He was so quick down there. Um, so Kriegmeier was probably sweating a bit in the, in the finish area. Um, but even though like, I mean, he, he deserved that win because he was skiing unbelievable and it's quite funny to see because the first three they had like uh well a bit of a shocker um bless them but (laughs) Um, half of it not their own doing by the way i don't know what the italian that set that course was was doing i mean i think he lost his head slightly when he was setting that 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 section after the after that steep jump because it was potentially harsh words but it was pretty terrible like the the set through that section carrying so much speed down the backside of the big jump and then pretty sort of straight ish into a whopper of a turn which the only way that you were going to make it is if you almost chucked in a speed wedge off the backside of the jump and then chucked them as far sideways as physically possible to make sure that you could you know halt that speed and direction that you were going and, and sort of chucking an anchor to get across that gate it was ugly corset i think the guy just must have just straight up got that wrong it it was really strange and i was trying to get my head around it and we ch- we, we, that's we much ch- more diplomatic ben really strange yeah i mean the the, the texts that i've been sending the pair of you throughout the week have been a little bit more uh <laughs> direct uh in, in that in that category but it is strange normally you think if you're trying to control people's speed you do it before the jump you put the you kind of gradually build the turns up wider and wider to to so no matter how straight or well the skier goes this their speed will come down and then obviously you have a sheer drop for the jump that looks incredibly fun um but then throwing in right angles afterwards does doesn't help like yes okay you want skiers to be able to adjust their line you don't want it to just be put on rails from top to bottom but it, it was quite interesting wasn't it the first guys like they were literally going as quick as they could yeah, they were skiing like you'd expect them to. They were going flat out and then came off the back of the jump and they went, oh. And then all did, did you guys also... <laughs> we didn't see this in inspection. Did you guys see Valder? It, like, they always, like, <laughs> they after every racer, they were, like, filming him as well and he was, like, getting more and more concerned. And I said to my girlfriend, if if two, three go out there again, they probably have to restart the race because <laughs> there's no one's going to make that bloody turn. <laughs> it's a ter- it was a terrible, terrible <laughs> set. I think the guy just, yeah, the, if- what, what can you say other than he straight up got it wrong? Interestingly, I, I guess they didn't see it in course inspection because obviously when you when you do you do the course inspection, you have got the jury around you. And then 
in inspection, I guess there, there were probably some choice words going around the coaches going, what the hell is going on in this section? Guys, make sure you chuck, you know, stick down the brakes, put on the handbrake because you're going to need it to get over to there at the moment. But I don't know, I guess we had some surprise performances apart from Roman Bauman, who was a bit of a surprise. Alexi Pantero. I mean, Marcel, you'd definitely say it wasn't a surprise, but I think, you know, for me, I still don't class him as a, you know, a, a, a regular Super G wizard, but he skied incredibly well, as you would imagine, tactically on point, good positions in the tough turns uh, and managed to make, you know, as few mistakes as, as anybody probably, as well as um, a new surprise name, Brody Seeger from the Canadian team, missing out on the podium by four hundredths of a second was massively impressive by that young man i mean pinterod he did he did ski really well and he didn't even lose much time on the flats which was which was even more surprising so he've had a a proper good good day i think in the office um and everyone i would assume were, were happy on his team and i mean he probably was sweating when sager was coming as well because that guy was being faster and faster and he 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 was actually one of those guys who got the steep really well like he was he was basically arcing most of it, which was which was very impressive, and I hope he can he can take that form into a World Cup race as well because that would be that would be unbelievable for him and also for the Canadians because they do struggle a bit right now. Yeah, I mean that was a fantastic performance um, from from Brody and and Pantro as well. Like I said, I think the fact that he's unstoppable at GS probably helped with those few right angles that are at the bottom of the steep. Um, <laughs> But no one else seemed to know what to do with. But there seemed to be a good, a bit of a, a bit of a sweet spot. I mean, Creekmire just absolutely nailed everything um, and did exactly what he needed to on the day. But there seemed to be a bit of a section where the after those first three had had, had all skied out, there was a bit of a, a apart from Creekmire, there was a bit of a panic came in the next few set of races because people were putting adjustments in before the jump and after it and the way that the fastest runs ended up looking like you, you needed to make one of those adjustments. You didn't need to do the, need to do them both. You just need to pick one and commit to it. Yeah. Um, and the likes of uh, Matthias Meyer, who has been on incredible form and, and even Beat Foyts, they, they didn't really do too much wrong. They, they'd almost backed off too much because they'd been put off by those, those like big mistakes that they'd seen people, people putting in. But I think, you know, 21 DNFs for a world champ Super G seems, seems like a high number still. <laughs> <laughs> Kostelic will be happy about it. He was probably said, what a great course set. <laughs> yeah, finally some good course set. No Mickey Mouse today. <laughs> He's probably the only person that was happy to see a course set like that. He was maybe maybe helping them setting the course. It's like, I'll just make this a bit straighter there. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. And that, that one, you're going to put it there? No, put it <laughs> four or five metres to the right. You'd be better. Definitely. <laughs> So let's move on to the women's Super G from something that was a little bit more up in the air in terms of results wise on the men's side of things. Lara Gook, true to form, absolutely smashed it. Uh, Karine Suter managed to find some good form again in Super G, picking up second 0.34 off. And then Schifrin, I don't think anybody knew what to expect from Schifrin. She's obviously not had the speed skis on at all this World Cup winter. Uh, she talks about how she's not had them on all summer which is why she hadn't skied in world cup super g's uh, and then comes in and looks incredibly quick on those super g skis to pick up the final place on the podium yeah back with back with a bang um Schifrin. um and to be honest with you she was skiing very much like her old self we said a few times she doesn't quite look like her old self this this season but the comparison between the courses the, the women's course was almost too easy and not taking anything away from the people skiing down it, but they didn't appear to have the same challenges. And the only mistake Schifrin made, she, she got just pushed a bit wide um, and uh, was a long way up at the time when she, she made that. I think at one of the splits, she was a, a second ahead um, of, of the leader at the time. Um, so she, she could have done even better, but she's already come out and said, no ifs or buts. I'm, I'm still happy with what I did, you know, as part of ski racing. It was, yeah. It was great to see her back. Uh, still never quite sure when she's going to race Super G or not the rest of the season, but that was that was some really good skiing from her. And like you said, Gook Barami just seems unstoppable in Super G at the moment. It's quite it's quite funny how, or it's quite interesting to see how she evolved over the season. Like she was probably like top of the midfield in the beginning. And now Lara Gucci she's unstoppable. And I mean, she's also pretty much on top in, in downhill and potentially in GS as well. So she has have 
like she's really picked herself up that's unbelievable and I'm, I'm so happy for her and I mean Shifrin what else to say right she's <laughs> you you just <laughs> never know what you get with her like yeah. I mean she I didn't even know she was starting but then she was on the list and then she was third I mean what else can you say she's just a champion even yeah though she didn't win but so that sort of form you you know it, when you got it, you got it, right? And Schifrin's probably one of the most talented skiers there is. And she can stick on, she could probably stick on some telemark skis and win a World Cup. She could stick on a ski cross skis and probably win a ski cross. And she I mean, could stick on a snowboard and give Esther Lezecker a run for her money as well, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, we're the Schifrin number one fan club. So, Michaela, if you are up for it, we are happily having you on the podcast as well, just <laughs> as another little offer. <laughs> <laughs> just keep chucking them out there. <laughs> Yeah, I was a bit. I was a bit disappointed with the Italians uh, in in the women's super G. Brignoni and, and Bassino have been doing pretty well in some of the speed events this year. They were down in tenth and eleventh, which you know on on home snow you really hope they they would be up there. They're about you know, I think one point one and one yeah, just over one point one off is not all we'd expected from them, especially the experience of 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 home snow and the knowing that the hill probably that little bit better. Um, and also the form, I was just expecting a, a, t- a tiny bit more from them. I was yeah, a, bit, I, a bit surprised. It's, it's tricky though, isn't it, Ben? Like we just talked about how the Germans step up, step to have stepped up when it comes to performance at the champs. And all of a sudden, you know, some people that, like Matthias Meyer did it at the Olympic Games, you know, some racers just on the day can handle the pressure and thrive off it. And I wonder if maybe maybe it's too much pressure for the Italians. Maybe they just got the the the... the technical setup technician setup wrong maybe on the skis it's been so cold overnight the snow is so dry that's making it really tricky I mean a lot of technicians have been able to adapt to it and, and um, uh, but Marcel probably be able to tell us a bit more about you know some of the difficulties that go into that but um, you know maybe it could be something as simple as that that is slightly too sharp an edge on something that's so grippy and all of a sudden you're turning you know hanging on to your turn slightly longer I don't know yeah I mean, it, it, like that kind of snow is probably the hardest to, to judge from like an edge perspective because you don't want to take too much away, but you don't want to keep too much on it because you literally ski a normal race when you have too sharp of an edge and you just lose like tens over tens over tens and you don't even know what's going on. So it, it could be that they had too sharp of the edges or even the base of the ski might not be wrong for the snow. Like it's it's a... It's basically like a science in, in downhill and super G2, what you use in which conditions. So it's hard to say, I guess. I mean, from a biased perspective, my old ski brand, they're having a really good time. Um, so it's it, it's it's hard to say. And it's always it's always a tricky bit in downhill and super G, obviously, besides them having to race anyway, but um it's it's tough. Yeah, and it must be pretty hard to get a feel for the snow when the preceding four days have just been powder um, and not being able to do anything. Um, it means even your free skiing is not giving you that that feel you want. Um, we also saw Alex uh, Tilly putting on the, the Super G boards, which I thought might have been a bit a bit of a risk. Uh, she had a bit of a, a bit of a crash going into one of the compressions. Uh, she's been on I think Instagram or Twitter or something saying she's she, she's okay, you know, bru- bruised her bum, but not. Any kind of injury that stopped her in the in in the GS in uh, this week, but I was a bit worried when I saw a crash. I was like, oh no! I know that was. I watched that and I was like, oh, this actually could suit Tilly quite well. You know, she's got good technique. She's uh, a, a strong racer. She's got a lot of risk in her skiing. Anyway, I was like, oh, this could be all right. And then she crashes. And <laughs> oh God, what have you done? Like taking a risk in the Super G, a, t- a tough one. I think it was a bit of a a rookie error makes it sound like you're sort of having a go and, and rookie, I just mean an inexperienced, you know, inexperienced super G skier that, you know, she doesn't ski an awful lot of super G's and a bit of a compression at speed coming from, from uh, shade to bright sunlight is, is tricky and it takes a bit of experience. And I think for Alex, she just didn't quite read what was happening properly. Uh, and that's not to say that she's not good enough to read it. It's just lack of time racing on those sort of long boards. Uh, let's move over to the women's downhill now. So Corinne Suter picked up a second in the Super G, but she topped that with a win in the downhill. Two tenths in front of Kira Vidal of Germany uh, and Lara Gut 
snagging another podium, 0.37 back. Kareen Suter, it was it was quite a tight race in the end. She absolutely monstered that bottom section, and that was really where the race was won for her. Yeah, I mean, she was she was getting unbelievably and if you take the results from last year you would have expected it um, but this year she was a bit up and down um, so she really found her form right at the right time of the season um, and got two medals home Lara Gut third which was another amazing result for her getting two medals home or getting home with two medals maybe even more and yes and Kira Weidler hey the Germans they're having a run aren't they like yeah. three silver medals unfortunately always very close to winning um but i mean they will be they will be absolutely delighted i i didn't think they would have thought getting off with three medals after the first four events i mean a big um, unlucky performer i guess from from the, the women's races is, is esther Decker, who was in the in the downhill 700s off the podium and in the super g 600s off so she's got to be ruined her luck right now off the, off the back of those two races uh, less than a tenth yeah, less than a tenth in both races shows that she's, you know, she's she's still got the speed, she's got the form, but just that that's what it is on on a world champs, not a world cup. Like on a world champ, you're like, well, a world cup week, you're like, okay, it's still a big chunk of points. Whereas world champs is, you know, no, go no. home with nothing after two really good runs, basically. Yes, uh, it's tough. Uh, Karin Suter looked ecstatic with that win. Uh, it's another performance for her that sort of, yeah, like you say, Ben, she's been a bit mixed some of the races so far this season. She did smash some early season and then sort of gone off the boil slightly. It was nice to see her come back. Uh, Kira Weidel's been, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I can't remember a single performance from her this season, which may sound a bit harsher. It just means that she wasn't towards the sharp end and then comes up only two tenths off looking really comfortable the Germans have brought it their head coach Christian Schweiger is an old coach of mine when I first got on the ski team on the British team and that man I've there's only a couple of men that I've been afraid to talk to and I remember when I was first on the team like as like a rookie 19 year old skinny Brit talking to like Christian Schweiger who's coached some of the best of the best he's He's uh, raced on the pro tour, collected loads of wins and, and just somebody that you just did not talk to unless you were very sure about what you were saying or if he asked you. <laughs> just like, two words, then I'm out of there. Yes, sir. No, sir. Goodbye, sir. Uh, he's, a, he's a tough guy, isn't he? But he's an, I've never had the privilege to train with him, but I know him and, and he is an incredible coach and very, very valuable for the, for the German ski team. And I mean, you, you can just see like he always produces some good races. Like, well, he doesn't produce them, but he trains them. Well, it certainly does help to produce. Well, he, he, he does help to produce. Like he's an, he's an unbelievable trainer. And as you said, it's actually quite interesting because I, I always liked it when my coaches were tough. Um, I had two really tough ones that were not beating around the bush. And I think he's one of those guys and... I mean, fear can also be a good motivator, I guess. So. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did one day slalom training back when I, yeah, when I first was on the team. I think, I think it was Schweiger was only there maybe the first or potentially the second as well, but certainly very early on. And I was still skiing slalom then. And uh, I was training for World Juniors and I qualified for World Juniors, training for World Juniors. And I, was, and I got asked if I wanted to go and ski with him and Alan Baxter. So it was just... Alan Baxter and me training slalom on Hinterite, which for those of you that don't know Hinterite, it's like a mecca of tech uh, in Austria. It's in, it's a sort of a farmer's field that's been turned into a world-class technical training facility that's injected every single day, pretty much. There's like one T-bar lift that nobody else skis on. You have to drive through a field and across one of the other pieces to get to it. So it's really tucked away. Uh, a load of the brands use it for speed testing it's sort of you know it's properly good and um so yaka training this like sliding around on the ice watching schweiger just bellowing at me telling me that i'm useless or something probably <laughs> i had to say but i had this one coach and i wasn't doing really well so i went back to training with him because he was not my coach at the time anymore i skied one round and his course setting was always so tricky because he wanted us to really be challenged and I came down at the bottom and I was like, well, well, it wasn't great, but it wasn't that bad. And he slipped down, like hands behind his back, looked at me, said, well, I'm not surprised you're shit at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, now I get it. Right. <laughs>
Good, good. Yeah, I think we've all got a few of those in our uh, in our sort of backstory of coaches where, you know, sometimes you need a coach to put an arm around you and, and t- tell you it's all going to be okay. And sometimes uh, <laughs> you, you need to, to have a rocket shoved up the proverbial. Yeah, Schweiger was certainly of, of the latter of those two styles of coaching. I don't know if he's involved or changed. I, I highly doubt it. But um, <laughs> he's certainly producing results nonetheless, uh, which moves us on to another one of uh, a great performance from the German, which is today's downhill. Um, Kriechmeier has picked up yet another win. So he skied very comfortably from bib number one, had a good read of the corset nailed one of that that tricky traverse that left footer where you had to sneak inside that uh, that control gate but he, he he skied it incredibly well Andy Sander of Germany finished 100th behind him in second Beat Foyts picked up third 1800s back but a hundredth if you can take Fizz's graphics off off Eurosport to be accurate a uh, hundredth is 27 centimeters that's all it is between nice. uh, after after whatever it was what was it a minute and six what was it a minute and four One, 137 137 there you go which is it's pretty impressive it was it was and again we, we talked about the course setting already and, and the kind of the reverse on the course setting for the downhill to what they've done on the super g so rather than having the right angles at the bottom of the jump they had the right angles just before it so the big terrifying jump had uh, approximately two meters of air for most of the field and that's about it but again i would, after seeing creek go down my initial thought was that those those tight test turns look like they're gonna suit the super g guys more than the than the pure speed guys because no the pure speed guys were just trying to run the turns out and keep their speed the way they they you know normally do in the build up to that jump and the turns were just too tight for it you had to have an adjustment and, and Kriegmeier and, and Sanders showed that adjustment perfectly you know Marco Odomatsky into fourth he was absolutely over the moon in the finish area like most people he said you know how lucky uh Ledesco was coming forth Odomat absolutely loved coming forth he, he thought he's brilliant <laughs> Well, he probably he was he at the same time as um, Paris, so probably Paris was not very delighted about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I think taking away two gold medals that is something that's very special. I don't think many people have done that and doing it. I think they talked about it on the telly. I think Meyer Herman Meyer did it, uh, and they did mention somebody else, but I can't think. I think I mean that, that that's just greatness. Um, he skied actually he skied really well. But I rewatched it two, three times, and I, I wasn't quite sure where he was picking up all the time because he, he did look really, really good. Probably had a bit of a tighter line that other ones didn't skid as much. But I'm, I'm still surprised that no one was getting close to him, besides obviously Sander. He, he lost a bit of time in the middle part there, but had a really good bottom one. But I, I, mean, I was a bit surprised. Yeah, I mean, the point, the, the time Foyts was picking up from the jump to the finish. You know, again, we talked about whether races could be another hundred meters longer or anything, but he basically came from point points to like only a couple tenths off in the end. As it got out of those really tight turns before the jump into like the, the more downhilly section, he absolutely flew down. But yeah, you know, Creek might got that bit before the jump right as well as as well as after it. Um, and you know, I was really surprised to see uh, Matthias Meyer ski out. It's so unlike him, especially being a very good super G skier as well. As you talked about him turning up on the big day, he's like a double Olympic champion, but apparently world champs aren't big enough for him to really show up. <laughs> but he was he was struggling a bit on both races, wasn't he? Um, it doesn't, or it didn't seem to be suiting him that well, the whole thing. Yeah, considering how many podiums why, he's but... had this year, he's he's been on fire this year. Maybe not with the wins, but he's, I think they say podium did like four out of six downhills yeah. and he just, yeah you're right he didn't look right today from from the start he's being bumped around a lot at the top that top section there was a couple of camera angles where they pan around behind the start hut and it just looks like you're going down a wall they were doing like five seconds up to 100 kilometers an hour and looked that looks you, brilliant fun you know what like I, I i didn't know how the racetrack was no one obviously did and i just got to, took it off the woman's track because the woman's track doesn't seem to be it, it seems to be really fast but it doesn't seem to be very steep mm. um, and I might be wrong I don't know but 
the men's track they need to have this race in uh in the calendar every year because i think it's super exciting like there is a lot of steep there is a lot of flat at the bottom like it has everything it has some big jumps it's it's rough so i i would love to see this race in more yes. more It'd in the calendar great. Yeah, it'd be a great addition, wouldn't it? It does have everything. Uh, I've got a bit of a theory on on why I think Creek Mire was quite quick, and and as was uh, Sander as well. And I wonder, it'd be interesting to see what your take on it is. With an early bib number, you obviously don't get to watch any other races. If you've got bib one or two, you're not watching anybody, right? So you you've done your inspection, you've done your training runs. Um, and you can't really see how it's running. You're really relying on your coach that's in the start gate next to you to say is there anything different than the plan and that's basically all you talk about in the start gate if you're an early bib number if you're start, starting slightly later you get to watch the tv you can sort of make adjustments yourself based on what you're seeing happening around you but if you're bib one you're in the gate you say to your coach is it any different to inspection and they go no same as inspected let's go and so with that after that jump with those two the three really big turns that sort of um the finishing with that left footer which you had to then sneak inside the right which we saw Maya miss because those early runners went down there without sort of giving it too much respect they did their own plan on inspection they raced the run uh, and they skied it pretty well I mean yeah they were right on the edge of making it but that was fine and the rest of them I kind of feel like they'd hit the bottom of that jump and then were busy setting up to try and not lose too much time after that gate and they and i feel like those sort of offset turns after the jump were skied not very well by quite a few people and i think that that is to do with you know a little bit too much respect to that one gate where if you missed it you were out they probably watched Gadina doing his own uh, <laughs> pre-ski and missed that gate entirely <laughs> so they might have been like oh well uh, apparently skiing down with the cameras a little bit harder than uh, than everyone thinks uh, but you, you you might be right Ed it's, it's interesting that Creek Mario and Sander were that kind of bit in front of everyone else um, like I said I thought more people were making mistakes above the jump than after it but it did look similar to in the super g like that fall away turn that the traverse had really got into people's heads and people were concentrating so much on setting up they weren't they weren't carrying speed and they were making too big an adjustments like people that you're not used to seeing back off uh you, you saw them back up like i mean i know he's 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 very hit and miss but max ranton skied really well in the in the both the training runs no matter how going, many times you flog around the gates <laughs> well he was the fastest in training that actually got round the gates rather than just skiing inside the, or outside the, the line like most people did um and he couldn't he couldn't work it out um Roman Bauman today just I don't know who's too happy from his other performances he didn't look right um uh, down there but it could be all right Ed, that, that just once it gets into people's heads it's really hard to commit to the plan because you're just overthinking it but then I agree with you definitely the coaches they have like a huge impact on on your what you think and what you should do because they obviously give you the last information but what have the coaches told them then because those two guys were the quickest so have they have they said oh you can go you have to go rounder than Kriegmeier or like you know what I mean like they, yeah they... I just wonder whether that you know they're not necessarily would have said right you need to go rounder than the line but they may be like look there's a you know your people are right on the edge of making that or not making that game yeah. so make sure you come in with good space good direction and and, and good space and good direction is taken you know you saw dominic paris come in there super quick and then all of a sudden skiing like around around which you never see from dominic paris you never yeah. see him take his foot off the gas in terms of t being direct or being aggressive and he was skiing so far around in those sections that I just wonder whether you know mentally just not got it quite right in terms of uh, the plan going in but I don't know I totally get what you mean Marcel because those guys nailed it so you know but, but also like Paris must be gutted because he he gained about six tens at the bottom like he literally lost more than a second just in that middle bit yeah which was I mean if you could do it again, he would probably be two seconds faster there. Yeah. I mean, but you can't, obviously. Shall we Shall we move on? So the podcast mini predictions league for the world champs shaping up quite well. Uh, I was feeling pretty smug up until today's race because I'd nailed three out of three. And so I then picked up no points for Paris. So I'm on 15. Ben, how are you getting on? I have no idea. I think I've got what I've got there. Well, I can tell you, seven? I think you might know. One might have seven. Yeah. A win and two thirds. 
what have you and what about you marcel how are you feeling with your performances i stopped i stopped checking out how many points i have to be honest but how, how much i'm on like you're, seven, above, you're above that are you so marcel uh you have you picked up five for goot barami uh and one for lara goot so you are on a, a big six um ben you got uh what do you get ben you picked up goot barami so you got five for that goot got third so you got one and then foyt's got third so you're on a big fat seven i'm on 15 uh but don't tell, win- me, don't tell me dave's winning no no, no dave dave uh, decided he was too busy and didn't put any picks in for the downhill side so, so he's uh, he, so he's only got two correct from the super g so <laughs> dave's still on 10 Unsurprisingly, got enough World Cup bibs already. Yeah, uh, but the person who is winning, there's only one person that has nailed every pick, and it's somebody called Tom Garstang, and he has picked the winner in every race so far. So he is on 20 points. There's quite a few people that picked up that were on 15 going into today and then picking Foyts. So there's quite a lot on 16. Well, I say quite a lot. There's probably about seven. That's gutting. That's absolutely gutting. Um, how are you getting on against uh, your girlfriend, Marcel? I don't know. She's probably. <laughs> she, I just, I just try to find her on here. So she is. She's on ten. She's on ten. So she's only just, only just ahead. Well, she's better than I am. That is actually. Uh, I should have not. I just have not submitted her picks. <laughs> <laughs> don't remind her. Stop reminding her to play. Um, <laughs> Okay, but there's plenty. There's plenty of races up for grabs, and we're going to look through. Um, so the next little schedule we have going on. So today is Sunday. Um, then tomorrow we have Alpine combined for the men and women, which we've already got picks for. So we're not taking picks for those. Tuesday is the parallel for the men and the women, and then on Wednesday we have team parallel. So we're looking to pick winners for the men's parallel the women's parallel and the team parallel gentlemen what do you think i, th- I don't even know who's going to be racing it's going to be a I know, that's, it's really tricky <laughs> i think in the beginning of the beginning before the before all the changes were made it was quite a sh- sort of spaced out schedule but with it all now coming thick and fast you know there's a lot of runs to do in the parallel events whether you're in the team parallel or in the individual parallel so quite a lot of skiing and it backs right into the rest of the schedule so you've got the parallel tuesday uh, then wednesday team parallel thursday gs friday gs if you're um, a man uh, and then the slaloms at the weekend so it's some races will probably were thinking about doing it maybe second you know maybe second guessing it now but see that that's that's the good thing about the predictions league that that's where i'm gonna where i'm gonna head off because everyone is gonna pick someone who's not skiing and i'm just gonna go for an outsider tip and you're gonna, you gonna tell us who that is you're gonna tell us who's not skiing oh well it's it was on the news i think uh, a couple of days ago pintero is not skiing i'm or also or if you thought no maybe years now but also i'm not i don't think christopherson will be skiing that's just a gut feeling of mine but i'm not sure because yeah. he has two it's- slalom and yes i don't know but he doesn't he doesn't do any speed racing so it's if he, if, if pantero is not in the parallel will he go for it yeah but if he turns up for the if he turns up for a super combined i don't think he will be skiing the next day and then do the gs two days later i don't i don't know that's gonna happen but hey it's a tough schedule a- yeah so it makes it makes the picks really interesting because you you know if pantero is skiing the parallel i'd be picking pantero but he's you know he said that he's not skiing so obviously i'm not going to pick him but it it's makes it tricky to try and work out who you think's going to be skiing who's not going to be doing other disciplines who is going to be you know fast and again for the team you know historically the austrians couldn't give two uh two hoots about the um the, the team parallel the team. hey that's not true that is true well we Maybe. won in slavming i was there were you racing yeah, well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> no, but if you look at like, I, I don't know, my my point there was like, you know, Hirscher never did it, didn't really rate he it. He did, he did. Where? In Schlappming, we did. Like it Not was Hirscher, Scherkhofer and myself and three girls. All right, maybe take that back. All right, fine. I was thinking back to the Olympics where he didn't turn up. I agree, but Hirscher, like the, the same with the Hirscher because he always skied like Super G and, and Super Combine and 
slalom and GS, obviously. So he was like, oh, well, I kept putting him in a team with Manny Feller and he was like, there's no point in racing. He's just going <laughs> to ski out. <laughs> okay. Well, but, you know, all right, maybe you're, you, you obviously got better memory than I have. So maybe they will. But I, I think, especially with the Titan schedule, it's going to be interesting to see who actually does turn up in yeah. race. Uh, you know, almost certainly Schifrin won't be there. I, I'm sure Vlahova will be there because she skis everything. She's like, I'll just take it. <laughs> she, that woman skis more than anybody else. So do we want to try and put some names down? Should we, should we try and guess some people? Who would like to go first? I'm happy to go first uh, for the Ben's Parallel. Morning. I'm going to go Stefan Lutz. Ooh, I know where I'm going. <laughs> did that, that help you out, is it? It did help me out, actually. I was, I was really thinking about it. Is that ooh, a German? Yeah, that's one of my one of my thinkings. The German team are like on fire. Um, right, Marcel, with your little ooh, are you gonna are you gonna join us? No, you caught me out. Um, I'm actually thinking about Alexander Schmidt because he got fourth in the Lech one. Yeah. Or Christopherson, but that's such. I'll I'll go for Schmidt because he will be skiing. I'm going to go for Christopherson and then try and change it if I find out he's not racing. <laughs> well, you have the spreadsheet, so. <laughs> yeah, I'll just manually change my entry. <laughs> okay, uh, and what about the women's? I think this becomes quite tricky. I go for Flahova. Sorry, I'll, pick, I'll bring it in there. Yeah, I'll have that down as well. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, last time we all picked the same. It was Goop Barami for the Super G, and that worked out pretty well for us. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that she's going to be a very popular person on there. But at the same time, she won't be doing. I assume she won't be doing the team parallel. I don't know. Actually, no. I go for someone else. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I go for shit. I forgot. <laughs> that, that American girl. <laughs> Breezy. Paula Maltzen. Paula Moulton, sorry. Yes, Paula Moulton. I'm really sorry. I've totally, like, gone. Well, she had an absolute blinder in the last uh, hey. uh, event, didn't she? Yeah, very true. Very, very true. And the American, the, only... team, the American team have been on some form as well in the World Cup. You know, the, the ladies' side have been sticking in performance after performance. Yeah, sure, nobody right the very sharp end, but you've got a great group of um, them coming through, haven't you? Paula Moulton, she was she, sec- she was second in, the, in Lech, wasn't she? Yes. Only just beaten by Vlahova. So, and she probably should have won, I think, if I remember rightly. Didn't she make yeah, she a made a mistake, yeah. Three or four from home. Okay. So we've got those two races done. And the last race we're going to look at for a prediction is going to be the team parallel. Ben, do you want to, do you want to kick us off first for this one? Switzerland? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Throw any country out there and hope they put a good side out. I mean... The, the Swiss have had a pretty good all-round season so far. They've got people across all, all disciplines that could that could probably show up. You think the likes of kind of Wendy and 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 uh, is in the in the women's you, side and then your internet gremlins and, and, and those kind of guys in the G in the, the GS. Your internet gremlins kicked in there, Ben. You went sort of roboto. Uh, well, Switzerland, they're on a good okay. season all round. <laughs> uh, Marcel, as you were just telling us about how you we're in the team can you remind us how the what the format is is it it's head to head yeah it's four then... people per round so two girls and two men and they go head to head and so then you pick up a wit so it's like for you know how it's the time so, difference for the fastest two is that right so it's like the so first it's like obviously head to head if you win three head to heads you in the next round if you win two and the other one, when the other team wins two, it goes to the quickest time of combined, I think, of the fastest men and fastest girl. Right. Um, and, well, that's going to be, yeah, that's deciding anyway. Um, Which so. is, that's, how, that's how the Swiss kept winning, wasn't it? Because Wendy Holdner was so fast in the, in the women's side and then Zenhuizen was so quick in the, in the men's side of things. So that even if they only did manage to pick up two wins. Those two are so fast in their rounds that they managed to just demolish everybody time-wise if it was two all, didn't they? Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be very much the same because in, in the parallel slalom, you have an advantage when you're tall and the Swiss are very tall. So I'm going to go with the Swiss as well. I was, I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of tempted to stick with my German theme because I think that, that they, they are quite quick and... I'm trying to think who is the is it Lena Durr that does the she does the thing and she's she's their sort of 
she's going to be their quickest woman, isn't she? Because I, and I just don't know that she's got the consistency to, to do it every run. I think on the men's side, they've got two really quick races, as we've just talked about in the team par- in, the, in the individual parallel with Lutz and um, uh, and uh, Schmidt. But I just don't know that they've got somebody quick enough in the women's side. So, boringly, I think I'm also going to join you in Switzerland. So, yeah, 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 I'm going to stick with that. Um, gentlemen, anything to add before we depart? I think we forgot something really important today. One guy even though he didn't win anything, was probably the luckiest man on the hill today. <laughs> oh, Max Musatov. Yes. Unbelievable, unbelievable that he is not in a helicopter right now after that recovery. One of the best, I've stuck it on the uh, social media, so it's on the Ski Racing Podcast Instagram account, but that was so <laughs> It was, it was absolutely incredible. He, I mean... But just to bounce off the floor, do a 180 and land going backwards at like 70 miles an hour and just not end up in a fence is out of this world. Um, we saw a few good saves. Um, uh, Marie-Michelle Gagnon had a really good save in, in the women's downhill as well on, on Saturday, which was very impressive. Didn't involve her bouncing off the floor like Max Musaton. I have no idea how he landed on his feet. Very skillful. Very skillful. I, don't, I can't think. Anybody can think of a, a recovery in ski racing history that was as um, that as good as that. I mean, we've had some spectacular crashes where people walk away from, like the flat spin of uh, Darren Ralves at Adelboden or David Poisson, um, his crash in Val Gardena, where he hooked an edge into the camels and did his own f- version of a flat spin. But uh, I can't think of one that's that's better than that no i especially I, not in down normally just if they're in if they're in downhill or super g it's not really a recovery it's just a, are they okay um and he may still have hurt himself he was definitely uh, kept like poking at one of his knees like he was feeling something a bit strange which was probably where the edge caught uh before he flipped over um but yeah i can't i mean Every every run Marcel Hirscher ever did had an outrageous recovery in it, but it's, it's different when you're going at the speed these guys are going at. On that note, I think we should get going before we are divorced or left by our other halves. <laughs> um, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, the next pod we will do on Wednesday the 17th after the team parallel before we will look forward to the final races, which are the GSs and the slaloms. So, the good boys. ones, yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're just, you know, they got the important ones done early. You know, they made sure that COVID didn't really affect the early races. They've done the important ones. So if they manage to get these on, then it's good. If they don't, no one's really that bothered. Uh, <laughs> is, that, is that right? How dare you. <laughs> right, guys. Thanks very much. Until next time. Bye for now. <laughs>